And welcome to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Meltzer Five Star Project, where myself, Lorcan Mullen, and your other co-host, Simon Cross, discuss a match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has given five stars or higher to, and see if it's worthy of such praise, if it's worthy of such glory, if it's worthy of such renown. And not only is it a five star, Simon, it's a five star plus match. It's Five and three quarter stars, whatever that means. What is it we're talking about today, Simon? We are talking about the AEW tag team title match taking place at All Out 2021 between the defending champions, the Young Bucks, and the challengers, the Lucha Bros, in a steel cage. What surprised me until they said it in commentary and I checked cage match to see if this was the case is this is the first time these two teams have faced off in a 2-on-2 match since the all-out event of 2019, which was the Escala de la Muertes match. Ladder match. Escalada, whatever ladder is uh, in Spanish. Whatever it was I was saying during that episode, I kept mispronouncing it. (laughs) So... What is it in Spanish? I remember this. I was... Yo siento? I'm sorry. And the reason I know that is from the original Hug It Out between one Brian Danielson and El Generico (laughs) back at a Ring of Honor show where they did the old shake hands and then Generico went in for a hug but Brian didn't reciprocate and it hurt Generico's feelings. So the crowd insisted that he say sorry, and then that he say it in Spanish. (laughs) Brilliant. So from a generic luchador to Hermanos luchadors, brothers from the same mother and father, I believe. Yep. In Ray Phoenix and El Penta Sierra Medo, or is it Pentagon? I I always, I fail to keep track of what it is. In AEW, it's El Penta Sierra Miedo. There we go. Or is it El Penta Sierra M? I don't know, it's some, some, oh, something, to do with, something to do with that and Triple R, like their yeah. copyright, whatever. Yeah, so it's all that. It's the end of a long reign for the Young Bucks. We obviously discussed the... Spoilers! Well, if people are listening to this. But we saw on this show the opening match of their title reign, as in the, belt, the match where they won the belts, which was against FTR. And it's fair to say that their personalities have made some changes in the interim. The whole criticism of the Young Bucks going into that match was you could never tell how much of them they were faces and how much were heels. Yeah. There was inconsistency from week to week. Well, a few months into this, they went consistent with their characters. Thank God. What they didn't go consistent with, though, was what their hair and facial hair makeup would be from week to week. I love the superstar Billy Graham tribute from Nick in this. I remember you weren't a fan of Nick Jackson's beard when he started growing it and, more importantly, painting it. (laughs) Not initially. No, I wasn't. The whole concept of what they're doing grew on me, ironically enough, uh, a lot. I think, um, as I say, them just being full-on 
arseholes suits them best. Well, I think what it is is that with the Young Bucks is they never do anything by half measure. And that really was why they became the stars that they were, was that everyone was criticised. In their eyes, everyone was criticising them for being too spot-heavy, too many kick-outs, too spectacular. And they just got fed up. And they said, okay, you think we do too many super kicks? Okay, you think we do too many big moves and high spots? Okay, you think we do too many kick-outs? Do you like super kicks, do you? We'll have all the super kicks in the world! Mom. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> well, it should be a series of thigh slaps, really. <laughs> yeah. Doing that. And we get that throughout this match. And what I think is funny, though, with the Young Bucks is they do everything by 150%, essentially. It, when they go story heavy, then it's the heaviest story in the world. Mm. When they go heel, they're the worst heels in the world. They're the most obnoxious, aggressive, sarcastic, mean, cowardly sneaky it's something to be like the more evil team in a steel cage match where it's supposed to be evilness is encouraged not only is it encouraged it's allowed (laughs) whatever that messed up line was it's really interesting as well that like lucha bros like scalibur points out early on that prior to the conclusion of this match they're five and three against the young bucks overall it's i can't think of many other teams that have a record like that weren't they supposed to defend against the lucha bros and it ended up being pack and phoenix or was that when pentagon was doing his brief feud with uh cody rhodes so they needed to occupy the rest of the death triangle with something else i i don't know what was going on with it's hard to keep track i can't remember the time frames on that where penta was being like a heel for a hot second and then wasn't What's funny about that, though, is that they've kept his manager from that time, the translator, and he does feel like a bit of a, a spare part at this point. I mean, he accompanies them and he encourages them and occasionally you see him cheerlead to the crowd, but it seems like it was something from the heel singles run of Penta that was aborted that they just kept going with. It helps, it helps Penta a lot. What I like about Death Triangle as a faction is they will back each other up, but they won't hang around each other all the time. Is that as much, though, because Pac just isn't around anyway? That's partly it, but, like, um, most recent ra- episode of Rampage prior to recording, like, they come out with Pac, but Pac sends them back straight, like, just goes, no, I'll do this on my own, and they're like, cool, I respect that. AEW are like that. There's so many factions, but sometimes there are as much loose affiliations. Yeah. As soon as the pinnacle... In a circle feud split off. I don't think you've ever seen MJF do anything with the rest of the Pinnacle group. Except Sean Spears, I suppose, and Wardlow. Mm. But Wardlow is always with him before Pinnacle. The team that the Young Bucks always get most closely associated with are the Hardy Boys. Although their personalities and their heel runs are the likes of which the Hardys never had to the best of my knowledge. I don't know if they even had a heel run in TNA. Which was basically the only time Jeff Hardy worked as a heel. Mm. So the last time they were healed before that was when they were part of the New Brood against Edge and Christian. And I suppose if there is an equivalent match to compare this to, it would probably be the Steel Cage match that Hardys and Edge and Christian had at Unforgiven 2000. And that similarly had sort of an epic back and forth and ultimate heel comeuppance and large-scale stunts. But it's like everything that they did there has been escalated in this match. Yeah. 
to a much greater extent. But it was also part of that time when tag team wrestling really meant something. And I think that that's going to be something that AEW will never really move away from, I think, partly because they were founded as much on the Young Bucks as, as anyone. So I think they'll always be, as long as, especially as long as the Young Bucks are there, there'll always be a determination to keep tag team wrestling front and centre. What this match is, is the culmination of the Young Bucks' mouths writing them checks that eventually one of them they couldn't cash. Like that's that's why they're in the cage, obviously, because they've been using their stooges to like get out of situations prior to now, which is good because the young books have like looked great at times and had like clean, decisive wins. But also, they've kept teams who they don't quite want to like put the brakes on push wise strong, and certain individuals, Jungle Boy being an example. Well, there's always going to be limitations as well to what they can do in this match. Because they can't have the interference of anyone. Yeah. Don Callis can't interfere. Anderson and Gallus can't interfere. The only interference is when Brandon Cutler throws over the shoe. What a throw. Yeah, that kind of goes contrary to Cutler's character. I feel like the logical thing to have happened would have been for him to uh, fail twice. And then, like, they make him put it through a hole in the cage or something. Or like Gallows comes out and does it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been good as well. They just want to speed it up and get through it, I suppose. I mean, it's a relatively yeah. brisk match, actually. It's 22 minutes. Yeah, I mean, that, this is it. I went on cage match earlier today just to like check how much... And when I saw 22 minutes, I was like... It felt longer, but it also felt less longer. Like at the time, I never noticed time when I watched it because I didn't watch this live, I watched this the next day. Did you know the result ahead of time? No. The only thing that got spoiled for me in All Out was Minoru Suzuki. When the result happened, I actually did the whole get off your sofa and do that little run across your living room. Like a very tiny Mourinho-esque run down down your to like touchline. Whilst it's the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers, because it's been two years, and obviously they did do some build-up in the few weeks before this, but it was essentially the Young Bucks against the tag team division at this point. That There was no escaping them using any of their usual underhanded tactics as much as possible. That when it comes as close as it gets to a fair fight, they can't get the job done against the Lucha Brothers. There's a lot in this match. And it's it's different as well, to be fair to it, to the, the ladder match, where the theme of that match was that they were mirror images of each other. That's less what this is built around, I think. There's some of that, but not a lot of it. There's one spot in particular where there is that, which is... Well, there's two spots, I suppose. Where at the start, when they do the Mexican knuckle-lock sequence and Nick Jackson and Phoenix run up to the same corner. Yeah. But then Phoenix just run as Nick Jackson. And then the other key one is when Penta and Matt Jackson, the older brothers, both have their respective opponents in position for a package pile driver. And they... They're just like, are you going to do it? Because if you're doing it, I'm doing it. And they're like, fine. Oh, I'm doing it. It's a very big brother thing to do. Ah, he can take it. (laughs) I've done worse to him. And also Matt Jackson doing his mocking of Penta doing the Sierra Miedo as he's doing it. Uh, And the the crowd are really behind the Lucha Bros Yeah, I do like that. That's one thing that I will also give AEW crowds. They cheer the faces and they boo the heels for the most part. Yeah. They will boo Kenny Omega. They will boo the Young Bucks. They will boo... Now that after he turned heel, they will boo Adam Cole. Yeah. 
That's what makes wrestling great. That there's a, an emotional investment and a desire within the context of the story where the crowd is a part of it for you to have someone to root for and have someone to root against. Well, they'd been wound up like so well for so long by the Young Bucks and the Elite's antics. And that's that's their reign sort of simmered following their heel turn for the perfect amount of time. Mm. I didn't initially think it would be Lucha Bros, and I didn't think it would be now. Yep, and who won the predictions off, Simon? <laughs> you did. Who has an Goldberg-esque tally for that night? What, you injure old people? Well, yeah, but that's what I do in my free time, is no one else <laughs> No, but it is yourself. I I thought they'd hold out for the Arthur Ashe event, but it seems just, they're just, just going so a people way. know. Just so people know, I I got all nine predictions correct. I got all of them, every one of them, including Roby Soho. And I didn't say it was going to be the Joker. I said specifically it was going to be Ruby Soho. Did 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 you get all of them correct, Simon? No, I didn't. Have you ever got all of them correct in any of your predictions? No, no, I've not. Do you think that says something about us? And it says something about you. Do, do you think it's something that you envy? No. Yes, you do. <laughs> I sleep in a racing car, do you? I sleep in a big bed with my wife. Yeah, but that means you've got to share it. You don't have to share a racing car. Touche. Although, imagine if your racing car was the shape of a Formula One car. You'd never be able to get out of it. Oh, God, it'd take ages. Ken Clark, when he tried to do a photo shoot in one of those... Uh... And then as he tries to escape, he goes, well, this is not going to look good. At that point, all you got, all you can do is own it. Mm. Well, he probably did own the car, to be fair. He was a conservative, so... I saw a young man on the train today with a bag with a conservative party badge on it. What a waste of youth. <laughs> I mean, seriously. What I was going to say is, I could just watch Nick and Ray fight forever their athleticism like they are the perfect foils for each other and there are so many times in this match it's just like oh oh this is beautiful do you have any favorite moments when they're both on top of the cage or nick's trying to get on top of the cage that that's one the knuckle lock early doors that's another the sort of 619 dodging hitting the cage that both that they do against each other Mm. that that's another favorite they're just so even when like Ray stumbles or his feet aren't quite sure. He recovers so well. Like there's a little bit of a stumble before the double cutter spot. Mm. 99.9% of wrestlers would be more affected by that. But that man transcends. I I know uh, Pac's old um, phraseology was the man that gravity forgot. I don't think gravity ever knew Ray Phoenix. (laughs) So here's a question for you. Would you rather watch only matches like this for the rest of your life or only matches like Volta versus Ilya Dragunov for the rest of your life if you had to pick one because I think that there's two very clear ends of the spectrum that this match and that match kind of represent because that was all you could almost feel them like mapping it out ahead of time and intricate spots and long pauses between spots and people I mean, the fact that, and this is a big mark against it for me, the fact that Matt Jackson was, like, up with everyone else after the previous spot, which was a Canadian destroyer off the top rope. Mm. And all he did was just hold his neck for a while afterwards. Was a problem for me. If I had to, had to pick one type, 
really, really difficult. But I think I would pick this. Ah, uh, that's interesting because I would pick Walter Dragunov. I thought you might when you put when you post this. I also think if every match was like that, I would eventually get bored of it because the whole beauty of wrestling is the variety of it. This is it. You can't have one without the other for two. No, months. I think you can have one without the other. In both ends, I think there'll be people that will find Walter Dragunov boring or too far in a different way. Well, yeah, but in, in my opinion, if you want to. Like, if you're building a card, for example, and, like, you want it to be, like, a dream card, I think it would have to have something akin to both types on it. I don't know. I think every promotion can have a sort of in-house style, and this is so opposite ends of the spectrum that they would just feel they would bump against each other too much, especially if it was one match after the other. Oh, God. Well, that's why you have your Paul Whites versus your QT Marshalls. Mm. If we look at promotions as different genres, like... You couldn't get a movie that was like a horror film and also, uh, I don't know, I was going to say a comedy, but that's actually, they mingle together very well. But you know what I mean? You can't have like, you couldn't have a song and dance number in the middle of Manchester by the Sea, is what I'm trying to say. No. There are issues, I think there are some, like, there's one guy I follow on Twitter who, uh, well, he was the editor of, the former editor of uh, FSM, and I think he said that he managed 10 minutes of this match. And I can see where he's coming from. But I also do appreciate... I think you've got to judge things for what they are trying to be. Yes. That that doesn't mean that, you know, that you can judge a fucking, like, grisly rape-revenge horror film. Maybe you're just someone that will not watch a rape-revenge horror film, and that's absolutely fine and understandable. Yeah. So it depends on what you want... Whether you're someone that wants to be more... I don't know if forgiving is the right... No, I don't think either of those terms are right, or, or open-minded, but... Well, almost Pollyanna-ish, like overly optimistic or, or um, I don't know, trying to be, oh, or trying to be sort of someone that can be knowledgeable on everything in a weird way. Like someone who wants to mm. not just know about jazz, but know about rock and hip hop and R&B and be able to be an expert in all of them and know each, each genre as well as the other one, almost. Yeah. You can't really do that. No, but you can have like a good knowledge of all of mm. it. What do you think of the selling in this match? Uh, there was, there's just so many moments. Like, for one thing, I'm struggling to remember what it was that happened to Penta that warranted that blade job, because they did more gruesome things after that. Like, you would have thought logically he should have he should have bladed after like the thumbtacks boot shot in many ways. He. So it was kind of after the mask grip, or I don't know if he had already sort of done it under his mask, mm. and the mask grip was to expose it. The thing that has it in my that I have in my head for doing it is the two kicks against the cage support. Maybe, but wasn't that really early in the match? And then this was like... yeah. But then he's a, he goes like away from he's off camera for a good bit. I don't think that's that's happening. But that's like that's like the first time the young bucks get some control in the match, isn't it? That's one thing I will say as well. This match is not as back and forth. As the ladder match was. It's like, here's the baby face shine. Here's the heel cut off. Here's the heel beat down. Here's the face come back and cut off and come back. And then finally, the sort of finishing straight where it does become a bit more everyone hitting everyone else with stuff. Yeah. And then the finish. Um, What are the rules as far as breaking up accounts? Because after the Young Bucks hit Pence... Well, well, first of all, they hit... uh, Phoenix with something and then a reverse Rana. A reverse Rana. I did immediately think of you when I saw that. I know. That's what I want everyone to think of when they see that in the future. (laughs) And then they do the BTE trigger on Penta. And Phoenix barely brushes against the pin 
and that's enough to break it. I didn't quite get that. I think you've just got to make contact. But any in any way, shape, or form, even if the shoulders remain down for the whole time and the opponent stays pressed on top of the other guy. Yeah, because like, your contact breaks the pin as a manoeuvre. But does it, though? I don't know that it does. It doesn't in reality, but in terms of like how nearly every wrestling company in the world works... Yes, it does. <laughs> I thought that one pushed it a bit too far for me. What did you think also of the fact that it's pinfall or submission only? No cage escape. That fits well into the match, because if escape was a factor, like the whole point is the books can't get out of this situation. Is that going to be AEW policy going forward? Because I'm trying to remember how many cage matches they have had. The ones I can remember is Cody against Wardlow, and he won that with the moonsault, so that was a pinfall. Yeah, and the only other thing akin to it was blood and guts which has its own set of rules yeah none of which involve escape um so i i do think it will be a it will be AEW policy not to have escape as an option and i can't recall but was cody's cage that tall or was this a new construction because that was the thing that was striking about this it was a steel cage but it seemed to have like hell in the cell measurements just not with a, a lid or a although it does have more of gap it does have a bit of a gap between the ring and the edge because that allows a cameraman to be inside the ring they're sort of yeah. limited to one corner but that does help as well in keeping in making it feel like more of an intimate experience and that first bit where penta's like down mm. penta's down and like tucked behind the aprons so from a visual perspective he doesn't have to do a lot of mm. like hammy selling in the uh, a, la, a la royal rumble selling where like you do your moves and then just hide in a corner for a i think bit. it did make for a couple of awkward moments when they were throwing their opponents into the cage like the falls and the bumps into the cage were a bit more awkward yeah. i don't think they were they sort of timed it right i don't think they were expecting it to be that that much distance to cover yeah the ropes become a lot more of a factor but i don't know they were good enough to get around it i prefer the cage like this so this was so much of everything, like I say, with Young Bucks matches. Did it work to you to the point that you would give it five stars? Overall, yes, it did. What I will say is some five-star matches with the rewatch hold all of their value. This loses a little bit, just a smidge of its uh, sheen on the rewatch. But first time I watched it, not knowing the result, invested in the storyline... All day long. And still now, I would say, it achieved, for what it was trying to achieve, it achieved that with a plum. So I am giving it five stars, but I do want that little caveat of first to second viewing, just a, just a, just a hair down. I think there are too many caveats for me to give it five stars. So my guess is, if I had to give it a rating, it'd be somewhere around the four and a half to four and three quarters. But it's almost like, you know when they say with the Oscars, a lot of the time what, when they're giving out awards... It's not so much best costume design, it's most costume design. It's not best cinematography, it's most cinematography. Yeah. It's not best acting, it's most acting. And I think this is one where it's like, too much happens for you to not feel like you have to give it five stars. It's like, if you have a checklist, they go above and beyond the checklist of requirements, but whether it meshes together as something that's a truly perfect work of art or something that's a very good work of art within its milieu which will have its detractors whose point of view i can understand i i prefer the ftr young bucks match to this and i didn't give that five stars yeah so i can't give this one five stars i do sometimes feel like penta in particular leans too much in the sierra miedo 
stuff and the character stuff and overacting. He's wonderfully charismatic and he's a star. But um, he's ma- he's amazing. Yeah. But sometimes I feel like he leans too much into his what got him noted and kind of almost becomes the greatest hits act of his own stuff. Like he must do Sierra Miedo about seven times in the match, and it comes to not mean anything. Yeah, Ray Phoenix is just incredible, and jumping off the top of that cage, hitting mostly his brother. <laughs> we are truly blessed to live and watch wrestling whilst his prime is happening i'm not sure he's the best luchador but i think he's the most exciting luchador since Rey mysterio yes that'll be what i'll say about him and i could definitely see well i could see either of them becoming single stars for different reasons phoenix because he can do so much stuff penta because he just exudes so much charisma yeah i'd be curious to see where they go with them and, and it's weird for a man whose english isn't great still for him to like have such a connection in a english-speaking based promotion that's where um alex is it Albraham alhambras i can i i have butchered the second name that's where he comes in handy with penta says yeah which is a little bit of like foreign shtick and they have already done the, the joke where penta says a long thing and uh, Alex goes, Penta says no. But it helps him. Like, uh, where Alex becomes a spare part is when you've got Pack around. Penta gets the emotion of it. You know, him diving in front of his younger brother to protect him from a super kick. Yeah. Is just, again, it's most storytelling. He's <laughs> doing as much storytelling as possible in that moment. Yeah, in that moment. But in terms of most storytelling, I think that's still books versus... Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so and also, yeah. Obviously, I need to rewatch that Hangman Omega match as well. I need to. I need to do a lot of rewatching at some point. But yeah, I mean, where do you go with the Young Bucks from now? Just out of curiosity, because I think because we were talking as well on WhatsApp about if AEW were to add new titles to anything, what would you go with? And I do think a trios tag team title really works within how AEW is set up with so many factions partnerships friendships as well yeah like it seems like everyone's aligned to one or two people like how edge and kurt angle and christian were always aligned to each other and i love that like now you've got daniel garza or daniel garcia daniel garcia with 2.0 you got christian aligned with jurassic express so you could either have christian luchasaurus and jungle boy or you could have just luchasaurus jungle boy and marco stunt Marco Stunt is made for trios. There's so much you could do with him. I will personally create the trios tag team titles and build the promotion for the first six months around just letting Adam Cole and the Young Bucks go batshit crazy with it. Because it gives them belts and storylines and programs without having the Young Bucks need to feature constantly in the tag team division. Because one of my fears is that we'll see just the Young Bucks regain these titles two to three months down the line yeah and i don't want that to be the end i want this to be the end of a version of the young bucks's story in the tag team division yeah the young bucks don't need to win the belts back so soon i completely agree with you there uh lucha bros they've got the in terms of like top tag teams in AEW, they have a lot more fresh combinations than the young bucks and the other top tag teams so like ftr and Proud and Powerful, I think, will be the two. I think that the team that they might get programmed with in a feud, though, will be Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. Oh, Dan Lambert. 
All for more mic time for Dan Lambert. That ma- There's a man that gets winding people up. And I quite like the idea of Penta having shit to say about Dan Lambert and it being translated. That could be fun. The beauty of a roster that deep is that there's so many options available to them. You're not just cycling through the same two or three tag teams every week. You've got an option of like 10 to 12 different tag teams that you could put them against. And the Lucha Brothers could easily turn heel, especially with Penta. I think Penta works better as a heel, in all honesty. But part of me wants to keep Death Triangle together because the uh, the Geordie-Mexican connection, we haven't seen anything like that since Gold. Yeah, well, now we've got an actual Santiago <laughs> Munez playing the new... I mean, what the fuck? Steve Bruce. Ah, well, We're in the weirdest timeline. I was watching this really good movie, and, uh, and it were... Ah, oh, it were wonderful. And I thought, I want to make this dream come true for someone, like. And I can't make it come true for any of the Newcastle fans. <laughs> anyway. Simon, if people want to talk to you about Steve Bruce or anything else, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of detective novels that Steve Bruce has written. <laughs> My name is Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A at the end of Penta and N at the end of Jackson. That's my Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you put that gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. You can get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. lmtyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. Next week, if there are no more five-star matches or higher in between now and then, we'll be back on Match of the Week and we'll be talking about... Another match which has some of the most wrestling in it. It's going to be Shawn Michaels against Triple H in the Bad Blood Steel Cage match of 2004. And whilst they may not be able to control NXT anymore, if stories are to be believed, maybe if we rewatch this match, we'll realise that might be a good thing in the long term. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five and three quarter star time. Until the next time. Yo no sé por qué razón cantarle a ella. Aborrecerla con las fuerzas de mi corazón Todavía no la borro totalmente Ella siempre está presente Como ahora en esta canción Incontables son las veces que he tratado De olvidarla y lo he logrado Arrancarla ni un segundo de mi sabe todo mi pasado me conoce demasiado y es posible que por eso se aproveche porque 